This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. First and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me on to speak on the podcast. I truly appreciate it. And y'all can't see, but Emily is rocking these amazing earrings right now, and I totally love them. Um, so my name is Shine Tyler Jacobs. Most people know me as she will speak um, through Instagram, my website, TikTok, just, just across the board. That's kind of like people are like, oh my God, you're she will speak. I'm like, not my government, but yes, yes, I am. Um <laughs> And I am a lot of times known as spoken word artist, writer, and one of the reasons I'm speaking here today is I do a lot of work when it comes to sexual-based violence prevention. I work with organizations such as Unrape on Campus, worked with It's On Us, um, and I've started doing my own kind of freelance and organic work when it comes to educating, especially high school demographic, um, about boundaries, consent, um, resources, sexual violence prevention as a whole. And so I'm, I'm very thankful to be speaking here and to, you know, um, get a feel for where the conversation goes. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited that you've got these like multiple layers of expertise to bring to the table. I think it's going to be a really rich conversation. Um, so what I usually do is just kind of let whoever is on the podcast, um, you know, start sharing their story in whatever way makes sense to them and however they want to do that. So feel free to just jump in wherever you want. Awesome. Oh, I like that free form. It makes me laugh because when people are always like, I don't know where to start. I'm like, let's try the beginning. Let's try like whatever yeah. point <laughs> makes you feel like, okay. Um, so I guess like uh, one of the things I always tell people is like, I am definitely someone who since at like the intersects, or I guess you can the crossroads of like being a survivor, victim, advocate, right? Um, I didn't get into this prevention work, not in a bad way. Like you can be someone who's never experienced sexual violence, which is, you know, if you haven't, like that is amazing. Um, but I am one of those folks who got in, you know, in a healing process of being a victim. So um, one thing I, I'd like to note is like, I didn't realize which came with education, which I'm sure we'll get into during this episode, was I was someone who had experienced sexual coercion and like sexual harassment as like a middle schooler and high schooler. But because as women and because I'm a black woman, I feel like it wasn't, and at that time, a black child, I don't think it was named that. I think it was just named, this is something you have to get used to. And when I was on my healing journey, I was like, oh, like, you know, the statistic is true. 68% of black women experience sexual coercion as a child. And it's like, wow, I can note multiple points in my life where it was like, this was never okay. And I feel like people just kind of brushed it off as like, oh, you, you'll get used to that. So when I experienced, you know, sexual assault in college, I, I didn't really know what to do. Um, I, I really went into like the victim blaming mode of 
like, you know, it was my fault. Shouldn't have been there. Um, all of the things I remember the first thought I had in my head, you know, when it came, like, maybe I should tell anyone. And literally it was just like a bleep came up where it was like, if they don't help the girls that are white, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, the media has blonde hair, blue eye syndrome, like what makes you think they're going to help you? So for me, it was kind of like an immediate, like, let's not even try to make the situation worse by making you think that anybody cares. Like that was my mindset. Um, so that was, you know, freshman year. And then I had, again, multiple run-ins, which, you know, even speaking about it now, um, I always tell people that I feel we only look at sexual violence or we try to have this lens where it's the person that you don't know in the bushes or it is this, you know, very morbid conversation and people don't realize that sexual violence also looks like the person that you like and know who takes advantage of you if you're drunk, if if you're sober, who uh, like stands in front of the door and is like, come on, you're already here. That is sexual violence, right? And it's like, I had a lot of those run-ins as well. So now we're up to junior year and I was working with the Women's Center. I was very big in um, SGA in college. I went to William Patterson University and I started working with, you know, Women's History Month. And I sat down with our Women's Center and um, they told me when I started speaking about, you know, my uh, story that, hey, there are so many people, you know, that unfortunately go through this, like you're not alone. And my first thought, of course, which I feel like is everyone's first thought is, okay, then where are these people? Like, where are all these people that you tell me have experienced this? Because I don't see them. I don't know who they are. Like, I, I feel like I'm just one in my head. And it's like, I don't I don't see it at all. Um, so then I was told about an opportunity um, with uh, the Calcasa Coalition. Oh, the L, the LA Coalition Against Sexual Assault um, and Reliance that they were doing a summit in DC. Um, and in the year, this is now 2016, the NFL had donated like over $2 million to gender-based violence prevention. And so a lot of the organizations decided, hey, we should come up with a summit and like bring a lot of young people in from high school. Um, so they were like, hey, like maybe you could participate in this. And again, like it's even going over this story, looking at my mindset, because I was just like, okay, I am just talking to you because I experienced this. I don't know what to do. I am not literally in my mind. I'm like, I'm not a woman gender study major. I'm not a poli sci major. Like I was communication and management. Like in my head, I'm like, I don't even have the capacity to be able to apply to this summit. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, this is probably for somebody who like, this is what they went to college for to put this thing together. And I'm like, I'm not going to apply. So um, it was somewhere in June. I want to say it was like maybe June 6th was like the deadline. I would literally say like, June 6th, like if the deadline was like 4 p.m., like at 3.30, I sent in my application. Like You're I was like, like no, I'm going for it. <laughs> no, I F it. Like, you know what? We're going to see what happens. We're going to call it. And it was literally like out of um, 2,000 applications, me and five other people were selected. Wow. Was the, Can I ask, was there something that made you change your mind at the last minute or were you just kind of like, eh, so might as well? So now I'm trying to like go back to my mindset in the moment. I think I, I I honestly think that even though I felt I didn't have the criteria, I felt like I still wanted to make a change. Like I remember sitting in like an orientation leader training and they taught us about like, you know, of course, like if, if you witness violence on campus, you witness sexual assault, this is who you report to. And then they had to do like every college about like, if some if somebody says no, this is how you handle that. And I really thought in my head, like, why are we doing workshops on how to react to no? Like y'all don't, Y'all don't know this information? Like, we really got to take... Because to me, it really was just like, 
this should be automatic. We should not still be teaching people how to respect people's boundaries. So I think the more I saw how much we really were trying to do to get people to understand no and to get people to understand resource and camp- campus and still see it fail, right. you know, yeah. still see, you know, the fact that one in four women um, especially in the age group of that 18 to 25 will experience sexual violence. I'm like, okay, something is, is incorrect here. And I don't know what it is. Um, but it's like, I want to do something about it. And it's like, I don't remember fully like the questions they asked me because they like, you know, they called, we did like two rounds of interviews, but I remember, I think a lot of what I said was just my own personal experience. And it's like, you know what, exactly what I kind of said here. Like, I just feel like number one as a whole for all women, this is this, we need to need more, but I feel like as a black woman, it's kind of like, um, an episode, a podcast episode I did with a young girl who's speaking on feminism. I'm like, it's like when we talk about the pay gap and people are like, oh my God, we're only making 75 cents off the man's dollar. And I'm like, white women are, I'm making 65 cents. A Latina woman to make a 50 cent. So it's like, I feel like as I saw, you know, the world kind of changing in this lens from this, from this horrific experience, I was really looking like, whoa, like, you know, we're missing the mark with everyone, but you are specifically missing the mark with me and women that look like me. And I think that's what made me want to change it. And I guess in that moment, I decided like, I don't need a degree to be able to do this. And I, and I'm very happy that Cheyenne back then in 2016 was able to muster up that courage to be like, hey, like, I don't have this experience, but I want to apply. Um, and I'm still connected, which I loved to the folks that I met at the summit, um, as well as like students who were there, who are doing amazing things, as well as my fellow coalition founders who were there, they're doing amazing things. And it's like, so that was 2016, 2017. I was able to speak at NSAC on engaging youth um, and gender-based violence prevention. And then that's kind of when I started what I feel like a lot of people, even how I connected with y'all, she will speak on Instagram. And essentially it was me just posting my poetry um, on my experience with sexual violence and mental health. And during the time it overlapped a lot. um, And I have to give a lot of like, like definitely thanks to my friends and especially my friend um, Maria, because I actually went through reconstruction surgery on my left foot. Um, so I couldn't move. I was very depressed. I was like experiencing a lot of just like going through because a lot of people don't realize that with survivors of sexual violence, like you actually sometimes go through cycles of going back through that victim stage could be 10 years, you know, after, but you could go through this, even if it's like the month or something re-triggers you. So I was just going through a lot and I was trying to do my poetry book, The Tragic Type of Beautiful. And she was like, I think you should just do it. I think you should just publish it. I think you should tell people who like who's behind this page because the page was anonymous. Nobody knew who I was when I started it. She will speak was just a black photo um, in my poetry. So people like could probably guess I was black and I was a woman and all these different things based on what I was writing, but no one knew who I was. Um, And then in that 2018, like May of releasing the book is when I kind of was like, you know, put a name to she will speak like I am, she will speak. Um, And I would say since then it's it's definitely been a journey um because i started the she will speak series which is like the collection of poetry right and that's because other folks started seeing my work and being like hey like i experienced sexual violence too and like this is my story and like my thought process with that is like see a lot of folks i think when you ask them about sexual violence they're like oh yeah one in four one in seven they could they could give you the numbers off the top of their head but I don't want us to be so comfortable giving the numbers that we forget these are not just statistics. These are people. 
Real people, yeah. These are real. These are real yeah. people. These are like when we say it's someone that you know. Like I don't want you to think, oh yeah, someone that I know. No, I'm, it's probably someone that you're talking to. Someone that, like like I like I needed people to really see that. And so when I opened up submissions for the anthology, um, even some of like the folks who submitted, and I'm, I still am friends with a lot of them today and, and talk with them. Um, one of them, Yvette Santana, uh, she is the curator of the mental health one we just did. I'm not crazy, but to see so many people submit and be like, I just felt like I got this weight off my chest. I feel like I told a story that I needed to get out. You know, I think that's what kind of made me be like, okay, I I really want to do more in this movement. And that's kind of how I got in line with N-Rape on campus and Survivor of Color. And, you know, I didn't think like, again, when I was a freshman in college, now we're going back, what, 2014 and 2016 and 2017, that I'd be like this educator that people really look to and ask to speak at different things. You know, I just kind of was like, I'm going to read, like I read hood feminism, you know, post-traumatic slave syndrome. I have sexual citizens up next. The body keeps a score. Like I just really wanted to do this work for myself to heal myself. And like, as I found out things, I was like, I want to share this with other people. And then like, I don't know, like, I guess that's, that's how we got here today, essentially. So it's, it's, it's weird because it's like, it wasn't, like planned even like if somebody would have told me I would have been going through my own journey of sexual violence and then still still going through that because it's not like it's a done journey but like be trying to help and educate and be someone that people value in the movement like I I couldn't you know even think about that even in 2017 when I was on the summit it was I was just like oh I'm just someone here that wants y'all to listen to like what's going on well, and I think you're speaking to this piece of like credentialization, especially in mm-hmm. academia. And it's like, what, I mean, what, there is an expertise in having the lived experience. Yes. And, and actually that should be centered first and foremost, instead of like folks who are on the peripheral. And what's interesting is like, there is kind of a, I think it's changing now. Um, but I think like when I started doing the work, it was a lot of like, well, you're not allowed to say that you're an advocate and a survivor. You have to keep those identities completely separate because mm-hmm. somehow it invalidates your, your expertise because you're going to be seen as like not fit or not well enough to do the work. And I'm like, shouldn't that be exactly who's doing it because they have the inner working and the inner knowledge of that lived experience, you know? It is. Well, it's the same way how we value books about like racism by like white authors. And it's like, oh my gosh, they know exactly what they're talking about. And it's like, so like Kimberly Crenshaw and all the, you know, they didn't know what they was talking about. Like, you know, we value sometimes, like you said, the opposing or not even opposing voices, but like you said, voices who it's like, they are in a sense, like you said, on the peripherals. And it's like, it's not saying that you cannot be a part of speaking or that you're like, Hey, like I have this expertise, but you know, I've had people tell me the same things. I literally had somebody um, tell me that, you know, I, I am one of the reasons, what did they tell me? Like, I am one of the reasons, like, we have this patriarchal and racist system. And it was by, like, a cis white woman. And her her thing was, she's like, I'm going to school to get my master's in diversity and inclusion. I just want to tell you that, like, you're the reason. I was just like, and it took me a minute. I showed it to my dad. I remember the day I was picking up, we were picking my brother up from college. And I was just like, yo, and I, I just got out the car, walked around the car a little bit. And then I got and I was like, listen. I was just like a Facebook message. I was like, I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many papers you write. You will never wake up and be a black woman that has experienced sexual violence. And, you know, the immediate reaction was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I was like, but yes, you did. You are literally invalidating my experience, my existence to say that your paper 
means more than anything I have to offer to the table. Um, because like you said, I, I feel like we have these statistics, these numbers, and especially one that I am now very much trying to tell and educate people on. Um, most violence happens in interpartnership relationships. But somehow, I feel like when we have these conversations centering sexual violence and abuse, we try to like cover that up. If most cases of sexual assault and violence happens with the people that you know, why is it that we are still having the conversations of like, well, why didn't you tell somebody? Why didn't you lock out? Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you? They know that we. So you see what I'm saying? I feel like we're still in the space where we're still trying to invalidate experiences, even though we try to claim we have these numbers. Cause I, that that's the biggest one right now that I'm trying to get people to understand. Like I had someone try and tell me once like, well, isn't it assumed if you're with someone, you're going to have sex. And I was like, that's the problem. Yeah. I was like, these mentalities are why these numbers are so high. And then when, when sexual violence happens, nobody knows. I feel like how to properly care for a victim. Like, I feel like there is no trauma-informed care because we immediately go like, but really? I mean, they were so nice. No, I don't care what you think they were. They was not nice. They was not nice now. Um, so you're absolutely right. Like invalidating experiences, I feel is also what continuously t- not makes people want to speak up or wants to give their opinion. Why would you, if you know that that's going to be the reaction? And we have all of these like subtle cues, like cultural cues to say, like, sit down, shut up, be silent. You know what the reaction is going to be if you speak up. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be supportive. And it highlights how like there's this like cultural like lack of awareness and like the cultural psyche is just not at a place where we can really talk about it in a way that resonates. You know, people Mm -hmm. talk about it superficially with statistics. That's the piece that people can like hang on to. That's why I think the work that you do and the work that We Are Her does and really trying to bring it back to like the voices of the people who are affected Mm -hmm. the most. It's like, shut up, just listen, you know, and like humanize it. And like, this is, you know, this is a real human being. And that I think is the only way we're going to get people to really start to truly and deeply understand. No, I 100% agree. Because like I said, and I like the way you're saying it's humanizing these numbers, um, because the numbers are there. Like they are here, but for some reason, like you said, you go to the panels, you go, you know, to the workshops. I have been to so many, I've been invited to summits and it's like, I look at even, like you said, the voices at the table and it's like, there is no one up there that looks like me or looks like them or look like, and it's like, who, you know, cause that goes back to even as we've talked about many times in this movement, why are we still centering the perfect victim? And I remember when I um, did a panel for the army of survivors and voices of hope, we did, um, racism and its many shades and rape and um and rape on campus also did a form of that as well with a smaller group of us and one of the questions that they asked which is that i think really kind of like spiraled a lot of conversations for the folks like you know who flowed through that community a lot going to the workshops and everything was like why do i feel like especially for like black women and women of color like we're not getting the resources that we need and i and like i really sat there and i was like see that's the problem like i feel like we're asking a question we also know the answer to already when did we ever like since 1619 when the transatlantic slave trade because a lot of people don't even realize when it comes to the slave trade um people in africa were not the first people that tried to be enslaved we took tainos they took aztecs like they took people from all these other places and tried to enslave them first some of it worked we took about 16,000 people from india so there were many people of color that were just pulled from all these countries and and landed here 
And then they were raped, used for um, cattle as far as just bearing children. I like and reading post-traumatic slave syndrome, like it really even helped me understand the scope of like even the trauma of the family dynamic in the black community, because it's like, you know, understanding that as a as a woman, as a mother, for example, that there is nothing that you could do to protect your daughter from literally having her body uh, just just violated because someone decided that you're a slave and you're less than. And so, you know, when you look at the timeline, because people want to say, oh, slavery was like 400, 500 years ago. First of all, that's not that long. Second of all, when you look at the milestones of like the civil rights movement, abolish the, uh, the abolishment of slavery, all of these different things, it, it to me, it's kind of like certain states haven't even made a lynching a federal crime. So when people ask, like, why do you feel like, you know, we're not doing enough. When did our bodies matter? Like I have, like we have yet to, you know, America keeps even trying to ignore the fact that slavery was a crime against humanity and everything that happened. And the same way, you know, we have post-traumatic slave syndrome because I'm a big believer. Like you said, I'm, I'm academia, but I'm academia with a twist. I'm like, okay, well, one can't be without the other. If there is post-traumatic slave syndrome that we got post-master syndrome going around somewhere too which is where you you subconsciously don't think my body matters. We we don't. So it's like you said, I, too, as well, I feel like we're not creating enough space and humanizing the voices that need to be humanized because I also feel that we don't even realize we subconsciously don't think of certain folks as humans. Because like I said, as a, um, as a Black woman, I've even had to do that inner healing from a generational standpoint where I've heard from a lot of the women before me where it's like, oh, a man is going to cheat on you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do this. And then, you know, I was like, why is this, why are these narratives being taught? And then after reading and doing research, it's kind of like they had to prepare you for that. They literally had to prepare you to be the strong black woman because there was nothing that you could do to, to against the system unless you wanted to be killed. So it's kind of like, you know, I think which is what, again, even you, uh, y'all as an organization are doing and what I'm doing with all the other, you know, folks that are going to be on these episodes are doing is so powerful is I tell people we are literally creating new narratives, not even changing narratives, because I feel like changing is is totally minimizing what's happening. I feel like to change something is to be like, okay, we're tweaking. No, no, you are. We are literally wiping a slate clean, saying all of that that happened was wrong, and we need to admit that it was wrong, and we need to build a system that is acknowledging the intersectional oppression that is happening with people. Um, and I think that's, that's really what we're doing because, you know, from really, like I said, doing my own research and sitting with a lot of this information, there are so many, like, like you said, you can go into like a spiral of these conversations because it's so much deeper sometimes than just like, I think we are taught even in college, right? You know, if this happens, you know, just call this number and it's like, you know, you're going to do a case for like three months and then it's over. No, 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 it's not. And I think, you know, we have to also acknowledge kind of like I, like I just said, outline going back to 1619, while we have some of these mindsets now, there is a lot of transgenerational trauma that's impacting these conversations. Because like I said, knowing that I'm dealing with the system of institutional oppression of people that don't think I matter, right? So now I'm dealing with that, but I'm also dealing with a community um, that I cannot blame for their trauma. That's literally trying to tell me I have to deal with the the violence I'm going to take because it's it's their way with coping with the fact as black people like this is just what's going to happen to us. But and I can't. And for me personally, you know, I'm very big now on kind of like I could choose to be mad, but what is that going to do? I can't be mad that we mentally have tried to carpet mentalize this trauma as a way of acceptance. 
Like if I can- And survival. And survival, right? If I can just say I don't matter, then I won't be surprised if something happens to me. And it's like, I I can't be upset about that. I can't, I, I just can't be upset that, wow, this is how my ancestors and the, and the woman before me that told me these narratives, this is how they had to survive. And it's like, you know, I was even thinking that the other day, like what would, you know, my mother, my grandmother, the woman in my, not even just my family, so many of us have been, if they would have been even here today in 2021 and had access to these resources, had therapy. Because even though, like I said, I think we're missing the mark with a lot of resources now. I know we was missing the mark back in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, right? So like you just said, like the narratives we had to tell each other to survive. And it's like that when we talk about sexual violence and being intersectional, that is just even one piece of what I have to deal with on a daily having these conversations. Yeah. And abuse happening at multiple levels. Like I've thought a lot about like in the last year or so with the racial justice movement kind of taking up much deserved space and it coming into the more like, you know, like public consciousness a little bit, like people are starting to think a little bit more. And I was trying to think about like how it parallels the same dynamics of an abusive relationship where black indigenous and other women of color in particular are not only at high at risk of higher rates of abuse and have experienced it at the hands of like in, in interpersonal settings, but also are literally trapped in an abusive dynamic with the system, with our government, with white, like systems of white supremacy. So you're, and being told like, it's not real. You're overreacting like the gaslighting. It's, 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 it all is literally the exact same shit that happens in that abusive dyad, but at like a bigger scale. Yes. It's like you said, abuse literally from the system because there's nothing. I, I mean, um, I, who, what is it? I'm trying to think of, I think only one in 15 black women would like report. Right. And even from that, it's kind of like what is happening. And it's like, exactly like you said, you're facing abuse from the system. And then people have the audacity, which is my favorite word of 2020, 2021. You have the audacity to oppress us. And then when something happens, tell me, well, why didn't you say something? Where? Where was where was I given the space to have faith and say something? Exactly like you said, because and that's when we go into the gaslighting, because it's like we're being abused by the system. And then at the same breath, out the side of your mouth, going to tell us like, oh, well, y'all should have done this. That's a lie. That is a lie. I was not. That's what abusers say to their victims. Literally, like, well, you should have just said something. What? Huh? Like, no, absolutely not. Um, a and and you know, you can see it so much when you look at even um within the recent years, like when you have the documentary on surviving R. Kelly and on HBO Max, it's on the record, right? Because and again, this goes back to like you said, the survival tactics and even just the aspect of us not caring about black girls and black bodies because I just find it still very, and I do very hurtful that R. Kelly was used as a joke for so long. Like the, like the fact that he was a predator and is, that was, is a predator, a rapist and abuser is a joke, not only in the black community, but in every community. And that just goes to further show how much we don't care about about black children and how much we're battling and then on the record there's a perfect perfect um moment where they talk about like again like you said the two wars of kind of like you know being a woman and being black so it's like you have women where it's kind of like okay listen like this is what we're dealing with this is where we need help with and i know even tarana burke has said it many times like i should not be the only black woman that y'all be calling to talk to 
Like there are so many other black and brown women that could be having these conversations. Cause I've actually thought about that. Like, like, you know, and that's like, and, and she has so much wisdom, but even she has said, y'all, I'm not the only one. Like, like I am the one that y'all uphold, but there are so many other folks. And the fact that when we come to the table, it's kind of like, okay, we see what you're saying, but it's like, you know, it's just not that time. Um, Kind of like you said, black and brown people, yes, had so much space to take up in 2020. But like I tell people all the time, like it shouldn't just be an incident based taking up space. Like it shouldn't be like, oh, George Floyd was killed and we had Breonna Taylor and we had Ahmaud Aubrey, And it's like, let's talk about racism and rape. We should have been talking about racism and rape. I've been experiencing racism before 2020. Why weren't like we all needed a pandemic and like three murders back to back for everyone to see that. So it's like you have that battle as, you know, the aspect of a lot of women organizations, women movements when it comes to being black and brown. And then on the the opposite side, um, which I talked about and on the record where it comes down to if you have, for example, someone like an R. Kelly um, where the perpetrator is black. And a black man, it's kind of like, well, you know, we see what you're saying, but, you know, we don't want to hold back the black race. So it's like, we can't really talk about this now. So then, like, I feel like black women, we just stand in there where it's like, okay, so where exactly do we go? And when is our time to get help? You know, and it's like a lot of, I feel like, women of color, like, they deal. You you deal with that so much. I know um, in, like, the Hispanic and Latina community, it is so unlikely for them to even use the term sexual assault and rape. And, you know, the fact that people use things like, you know, citizenship against against them as women. Um, and I've heard so many stories where it's like, no, like, it's just the thing. Like, it's like, OK, you say something, even if we, this won't affect you, it'll affect the rest of your family. And like you said, getting abused from the system and being ostracized by communities who claim they support you and they protect you. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, we protect women, we protect black women. I'm like, do you really? Because like I've I've seen and been told often like it is not and I think that's that's the phrase right there. It's just not time yet. What when then when is it? What time is it for us to be able to come and like share our story and get help? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of um I love Brian Stevenson and he talks about like the truth and reconciliation piece about how we talk about them as if they happen at the same time, but you can't get to the reconcil reconciliation, which I think is also another word for like healing unless you do truth telling first and no one will listen to the truth. We have, a, we've done a shit job of that in this country. Um, and so it's like, well, yeah, so it is sequential. It's not like, it doesn't happen at the same time. Um, no. Yeah. I just, that's kind of what I'm, it's like reminding me of that right now where you're like, I'm trying to tell the truth, but no one will fucking listen. And no. And like you said, it's so important for the truth because when you try to push the healing and the reconciliation part, like, it's literally just like, can you hurry up and like get over it now? And it's like, so like, no, because we have to acknowledge the fact that I went all these different places and like, no one did anything. And it's like, you know, I, I do think as a whole, you know, we, we need to have the truth. Like so many communities, you know, that experience sexual violence, like there needs to be this truth of like, it is systematic. Like it is literally even the system again, like I said, as a, as a, I personally feel that a lot of the narratives we got from slavery, you know, from, you know, even 2020 with uh, the pandemic and, and Trump as president, all those narratives we got further pushed the fact that all of these things were okay. Like I actually, um, 
I was talking to one of my friends the other day. I'm like, I feel like even right now with conversations happening, like with this one guy and I just, I can't stand him. Um, Kevin Samuels on social media. I'm like, I feel like him and so many, even men right now are literally just trying to make misogyny. Okay. And normalizing it. And it's like, people don't realize like sexism, patriarchal standards, misogyny, all those add to sexual violence. Like if you're like your mindset and your narrative of like, well, you know, real lady like women don't dress like that. And like you are, are, are expelling masculine energy. And that's why the, this these are all narratives that lead to sexual violence. And it's like that, like you said, is another point, because if we're not telling the truth, we're not acknowledging the truth, we can't heal. And it's like, I don't think, which is, you know, what I tell, I keep telling people, you know, I don't think people are fully grasping even what the normalization of sexual violence is. Like, like that's another key point. I don't think people grasp it. Like there was in 2020 when it's going viral, a girl went into the post office um, and she was a black woman. She went to the post office and it's like a, a guy was attracted to her. She didn't know that. She just got her mail left and he dropped off. He had a coworker drop off like a letter at her house. Because when he came in, got her name and pulled up her information. And then she was like, what is this? I am not comfortable. And instead of people being like me, um, that is an invasion of privacy. You should, first of all, you should go to jail because you're not allowed to use people's personal information like that for your benefit. And like the same type of thing happened at a hospital. A guy was like a, a nurse or some, I don't know what he did, but he was able to like get the girl's um, name and then found her on Instagram. And she's He's like, in the hospital. She is not trying to date you. She is not try- no, it's she and like, first of all, sorry, that was the farthest thing. And they're like, well, now I'm not comfortable. Like, you know where I live. And the narrative for people was literally, this is what, this is why black women are single. This is why women as a whole are single because you should be grateful. Like you should be happy that someone went to these lanes to do that. And I was like, the normalization of that's stalking. Yeah. That yeah. is stalking. And then I know I made a lot of men, even on my social media pages, mad. I'm like, you want to know why y'all are defending this? Because this is some shit y'all would do. And you're right. mad because now you're a stalker. Because that's right. stalking. I came into the post office to pick up mail. And I was like, first of all, it's illegal to pick up someone else's mail. Like, I was there and they tried to give me my dad's mail. They're like, yo, you can't take it. It's illegal. I can't even take <laughs> my, the people that, the mail is all going to the same address and I can't yeah. take it. That is illegal. So I'm sure it is illegal for an employee to send something or drop it off at someone's house and the narrative of like, you should be happy. And like you said, all of these things, all of these words are, are, are why we have to do this work and dismantle. And like, even when people ask me, um, and it's, uh, I'm trying to think of who said it, but someone was like, oh, I feel like you're definitely like, like an educator or like a social narrative scholar. I'm like, no, I'm very interested. And that's a lot of the work that I do in social narratives. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I, first of all, there's so many lenses to work on. You know, you have people, which I love every voice, a coalition, um, my girl, Nora, who's like over here in policy and change. You got my girl, Kenyora and rape on campus, right? You, you have, we are her, right? Doing the work as far as literally on the ground with survivors and, and doing things with this podcast. Everyone can be involved in different sectors as far as what it is at different, at different uh, levels. For me, I think what I'm always drawn to is the social narratives. Why do we keep thinking that? Why are you telling someone who's literally saying, I am not comfortable that somebody just, you got my address, dropped something off, and I'm supposed to just be, and you're saying you should be thankful. 
And I think those social narratives get internalized. And there a lot of times um, women in particular find themselves in situations where like, well, should I be upset about this? I guess I shouldn't. I guess I should be great. And it's like, oh, man, like having to unlearn that and figure out like how to stand up for your own boundaries is a, a process in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. And like you said, we have to because I remember I did um, a workshop and that's exactly what we were talking about. They were like, you know, well, what about, you know, women who, who say these things? Like you say, they uphold the patriarchal system. And I was like, listen, like the same thing. I was like, a lot of us in the black community say, um, some people you run into would have definitely snitched on us if we tried to escape slavery. That's But that is why they created the rift between a house slave and a field slave. Literally. So it's like, I have a poem and I'm like, they made us our own master. Like they did it, they designed it in such a way. Like I told my friend actually earlier, um, her name is Astrid, like um, my life coach earlier, I was like, honestly, I was like, white supremacy, like bravo. Y'all did an amazing job with having us argue with ourselves. I was like, I was like, it's beautiful. Actually, it's an amazing job. Like the psychology that was thought about to literally have us sit here and debate each other when it's like, yo, we all, we all, we all enslaved. Like, what are we doing? And it's the same thing with women. Like, I feel like you said, we have internalized so much of these narratives. And like I said, I choose to believe a lot of it is is for self-preservation. If I can convince myself that if I just dress a certain way and I do this, I will not be a victim and I'm not a victim. Well, that means the rest of y'all are just out here being reckless. And you got to fix it. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. And you're not understanding Um, because somebody did a, a post yesterday and actually just explained it to my friend. It was like the biggest weapon against people that are oppressed is the oppressors using the agreeance of the oppressed. And she's like, I don't know what it means. That is literally what we just said. Women holding up a patriarchal system. Like you saying, well, if you didn't dress like that, you wouldn't have gotten raped. This is this is why we can't get out of this loop because we're internalizing this. And like you said, it, it does take a lot of learning. I'll admit, when I was younger, Lord Jesus, I was one day, I was in church. I Listen, I, I was, I think I was born literally just in church. Like I was at the daycares, you know, we was praying over the snacks. And it was like, they really convinced me, like, if you want an abortion, you were irresponsible. They convinced me, like, you shouldn't be dressing. I had a book. Let me tell you what this book was called. This book was called What Guys See That Girls Don't or Do That. You can Google it on Amazon. On the back, it literally says how to... Y'all, Emily's face right now was just scared. She's like, what did the back of the book say? Oh, no. Okay, I'm, here. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. The back of the book is like, you know the book that every Christian girl needs, learn how to be mm-hmm. modest and soft in your daily life to not have your brothers in Christ stray from their past. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. Y'all, I was like 12 when I got that book and I <sighs> yeah. never read it. I don't see that's when I knew too. I was woke. Cause as a child in church, you know, they used to have the if girl, if girls got pregnant and they weren't married, they had to apologize by themselves. And I was just like, you know, something just ain't right about this. Like at 10, I was just like, I don't, I don't like this. So I'm happy baby Cheyenne was in there. She was always a rebel. She didn't, I just didn't know what to do with it. But yeah, 12 when they handed me this book, I was like, I don't really vibe with this. Like, it's just something about this. But like we said, those are the, there. you are telling people that if you're dressing like this, you are having your brother in Christ stray. So now him straying off his past and having sex is my responsibility. Your fault. Yep. 
Yeah. It reminds me of like, yeah, there's, there's, there's like really interesting oppressed group theory around like, so there's the dominant group and there's the oppressed group. And, and like when you're in survival mode, um, you consciously or subconsciously, you will learn that if I can mimic the behaviors of the dominant group, then I'm like, I am, I am inching, I'm more safe than if I don't. And so, um, to me, it makes personal, like, like perfect sense as to why people like internalize that oppression and why there's lateral violence and why they would mimic the behavior of the dominant group. But who's dictating the narrative? It's still the dominant group. So like you can debate the merits of like whatever people doing in act like, you know, women holding up um, the patriarchy, whatever. But like who's still controlling the narrative? It's the patriarchy. It's the patriarchy. Right? And, yeah, yep. right. and you're absolutely right. And any, every other ism in there too. Racism, homophobia, and it, um, and xenophobia. And it's the privileged person in power. Because like yes. I, you, when I did like a workshop one day and we were talking about like just, you know, privilege in like the workplace and power dynamics in the workplace, like you said, you can be maybe a woman in, and who's the VP as well. And you're trying to be in the boys club and you could be as close to the boys club as you think trying to distance yourself from the other women but still the white cisgender guy at the head of the table he is still controlling the narrative of what is workplace um privilege and what is power and like you said that you're absolutely right and i'm happy that you said that because that's the piece that so often we are missing or that we like are not realizing is like as much as we try to mimic you know or it's like they tell us with beauty in the black and brown community, like trying to be as close to Eurocentric beauty standards as possible. Mm-hmm. You're trying to be as close to it as possible, but you don't control what that narrative is. That narrative will never win. You're, you're never going to win. Your narrative yeah. can change tomorrow. So you're absolutely right that it's like we're upholding these systems when, you know, and in, in, in a drop of a hat, it's kind of like, well, the system is now changing. You know, we are now going to go over here or we're now going to say that actually you don't fit like what we're looking for as the mold. And that's when it's kind of like, I feel a lot of people, because it's true, right? Um, I feel that everyone who has set and who is sitting in an intersect has a moment in their mind when they realize they were something. And not that you were trying not to be something, but it's like you as a woman have probably a moment where you're like, I am a woman. Okay. I, I remember the moments where I'm like, oh, I'm black. Like, okay. Like, wow. Okay. This is the existence. This is how people perceive me in society. And it's like, now I have to kind of understand like, whoa, like, okay, this is how people are looking. And even though I try to do all these things, I am still this black woman. Right. And it's like, I feel that when we look at that lens, as far as it comes to sexual violence, I think that the goal should be to, first of all, like you said, heal and really help to reconcile all those who have gone through sexual violence and abuse. But also like I tell people, prevention and not just prevention like this is how you don't have this happen but let's unlearn these narratives that also make it okay for people that make it when uh folks face sexual violence they're just like okay well this is just something that's happened and it's like where are like that is the work we also need to focus on as well because like you said too many of us and you know like like we talked about before i said earlier it's a balance because you want to be mad but you can't because it's a survival tactic if i could be as close to the patriarchy as possible it's like well maybe this won't happen to me when it's like you shouldn't be holding down other women so you're safe because guess what you you should not have to uphold a system that is hurting you as well to feel safe the system should not exist and it's like i think that is what you know we have to focus on and that's really what I try to focus on you know it's like well if if I act like this I'll be safe you shouldn't have to act like that you should be able to be often you should literally be able to wear what you want be as free what you want say what you want be able to go here there um like a big conversation is like the Lori Harvey and I love her dearly because it's like she'd be like okay 
um, this is my boyfriend now, or this is the person I'm talking to. And instead of us just being like, yo, she's a 20 something year old girl who's just, you know, exploring what it's like to date. It's kind of like, this is, don't ask why y'all can't get married. Don't ask why y'all get sexually assaulted. This is why. So it's like someone dating is is why this like but like you say we sometimes uphold these narratives to be like well see i have lasting relationships so i'm different no it's 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 not that so i'm happy that you pointed it out because yeah we have to stop trying to uphold the systems to be protected it's really it's really not and it's like I'm happy. I'm happy that I have a lot of men um, around me and male identifying folks that like are very active with speaking against a lot of these things. And it's like, even they themselves have been seeing it. Like a lot of them who like, they know the work that I do or they know my story. Like I'm very free with like showing them, like, Oh, Hey, maybe attend this workshop where it's like, if they see something on my page and like, even they are amazed where it's like, what are they talking about? Like, do they really believe this? I'm like, yes, like, people really believe this. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like, this is not okay. And I'm like, you know, thank you. And it's like, to me, that is like the best allyship. Cause like one of my best friends, he's the first one to be like, first of all, what, this is the normalization of rape culture. Or it's like, even like I told people when they ask me sometimes, where does it start? I'm like, sometimes it starts at, at literally in the people around you, because I like to call out the group chat. Um, why are we, <laughs> we can't be afraid to call out the group chat. Some of y'all are saying yeah. right now with circle of people who have this, you know, um normalization of sexual violence rhetoric or literally have admitted to sexually assaulting and harassing people and y'all just sit there and look at the message like ooh they're toxic because that's a lot of what I said like you said holding up the patriarchy hurts men because you know for the guys who are like yo this is wrong but it's like this is just how it is no it's not like because I told someone that like even something is money we assign money value somebody could tomorrow could say money has no value and that's just what's going to happen so we need to because it's made up money isn't real it's not none of this is real so all these narratives are things that like we said were okay but we can change it because like you said like y'all will literally be in the group chat and be like oh he's a problem what what are you going to do about that though you going to keep him around and it's like I, I actually challenge a lot of men that I come across when they say stuff like that like but why are you cool like, so he just be out here, like, harassing women, and y'all are just like, oh, yeah, he's he's whatever. Because um, I saw that even today with one of my friends said, she's like, I feel like you have a lot of men, if they don't do this, they either kind of ignore it or laugh it off. And it's like, exactly. It's like, y'all can't be doing that. I don't need complicit. to. complicit. It's like, and to me, honestly, yeah. if you're complicit, you a problem. Yeah. If you're not, like they say, if you're not part of the solution, you're an issue because you're just giving a pass. Because it's not good enough for you to stop it. Um, because also in the pandemic, as I'm sure you saw, a lot of what happened was like fraternities and, and sororities and college campuses um, calling out different members of frats that sexually assaulted women. And then it became a whole thing where it's like, okay, like, you know, what do we do now? And it's like, see, if y'all knew about this for three years, why were y'all just okay with them just going to party and being a member? And like you said, how we normalize. I remember even me being in college, it was like a thing. Like they would tell us like a frat on campus, like, don't drink anything because they root for the drink. And it's like, again, young 17, 18 year old Cheyenne who didn't know anything was just like, oh, okay, I won't do it. And now 25 year old Cheyenne was like, I probably would have kicked that. Pu- I probably would have rolled up there to kick the punch bowl, call the cops and do the whole, do the app up. Clear them out. Everybody out. <laughs> because why are y'all, why are you still having parties? And why are we just passing the message of just don't drink anything because they root for you? Like you said, that's the problem. We are all like, like, oh, I love, I love how we got to the point 
a, a, a biggest problem is, is that we've just been taught to be complicit. Because literally, me, I was like, oh, okay. And it's like now, thinking back, that it was like, not me saying okay. Not me, not them telling me don't drink anything. And I still went and didn't say anything and was just like, oh, yeah, don't drink. It, why are we, why, 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 why was that okay? And it's like, but I'm happy with where a lot of us are mentally and where the movement is now because I think we are getting a lot better at calling out those nuances of the normalization because even that for anyone listening that is an example of normalizing rape culture literally it being known a group of people will drug you and everybody's just there like oh but just don't drink it why is it there right and we stand on the shoulder of giants like i have learned so much from other people where i'm like well now i know and of course my like my conscious and my um and my consciousness and like my level of self-awareness has grown and so now i can like you know, use my critical thinking with these new, but like, I didn't, I have very few original thoughts. Let me just say that. Like I, <laughs> I learn a lot from other people. I'm like, Oh shit. And like, how do I integrate that now into, and then like be thoughtful about how I can like use that to behavior modify. But you know, it's, it's a learning and unlearning process for sure. And it takes time. And I have to like give grace and be like, sorry, little like 18 year old Emily. She just didn't know what she was doing. And thank God I know better now because I'm going to be intentional about how I choose to live out that value. Yes. And, I, and, I, and what you're saying is important because, you know, especially when we're younger, a lot of what we think is what we were told. Like not even a lot. I'm pretty sure everything. Like I, like you said, going back to 18, I had like no original thought none whatsoever. Now I feel like I can more so like sit there and let my mind wander and it's like you said, I kind of like put pieces of a puzzle together. Like I'm kind of like, again, like I told you before with like rhetoric that's going on about like a guy who's trying to help women stay in relationship. I'm like, I feel like we're just trying to normalize misogyny. I feel like I was like, I feel like this sounds like the, like he was like the best thing black women could do for the community is, is have children. I was like, oh, this is starting to sound like the hands may tell y'all. I get like, this is, I know. Like baby arms race or something. You're like, I don't know if that should be the strategy. Literally Emily's face right now was like, what? And it's like, so now I can see and read things like we are normal. Like this, I told my friend, I'm like, no, this is the hands may tell. Like, this is what we're trying to do. And I'm not down with that. Um, So it's like, we need another strategy. But exactly like you said, giving yourself grace to understand. Because like I said, if I would have, you know, if anyone now heard the way I used to think or like my thought process at 18, I would not be who I am. Please, I would have been caught canceled a long time ago. But I I was able, which I think is important, like you said, being able to, number one, um, be around different people. Because I think, and me having the privilege to go to college, go to college outside of where I live, I was able to meet different people, different people, different experiences, people who literally challenged my thought process. And it showed me like, wow, like I was really biased for the way I thought, or I was coming from a very privileged mindset. And then being able to unlearn, be able to even apologize because, you know, trust me, when I became She Will Speak and I started doing all these things, I had a few, I had, listen, one girl in particular and we're, we're cool now, but she messaged me. She was like, okay, like I see that you're doing all this, but like, you literally, which I did, sat in the room and watched me get slut shame and just sat there like, I mean, like they got a point. And I was like, are you right? And I was like, I'm sorry for that. And it's like, I, I didn't, I didn't know. Like I was literally holding on to like these very toxic church values and listening to what I was told, you know, again, like, you know, if you dress like this, that's how you get sexually assaulted. So like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. It's like, I, I didn't know. And it's like, I think we have to, like you said, give ourselves grace and also just be honest that when you are met with someone calling out 
the harm that you've done, literally just owning it, saying, saying taking responsibility, apologizing and doing better and then yeah. learning. Cause it's like, again, like, you know, I, and I, I feel like people think I get it right sometimes. Like a lot of people are like, Oh my God, you always know what to say. I'm like, Oh no, I don't trust me. I've had people come to me and be like, what you said was problematic. And I'm like, no, you're definitely right. It, de- it, de- I, yep, it was. Okay, great. And it's like, well, wh- well, what can I do better? Um, because like you said, if it, I've had it, literally, I would say like, once I started kind of doing a lot of this work, that's when a lot of those old conversations came back to my forefront because people were like, ooh, hey. Remember that time you were a giant asshole and you're like, fuck. Yeah, remember that time you were an asshole and you said like, <laughs> we were sluts and I was just like, sure, you know. Sure do. I, I, I do. I, yeah, mm-hmm, that was. That was me. It was. And then I was just like, and now what I tell people, when they tell me different things, I was like, listen, I was like, I apologize. And I was like, if it was, if I said anything during the time when I still was chemically relaxing my hair, please just don't hold it against me anymore. That was a different person, right? And, yo, please, no, I, I was like, if my hair was straight, like a perfect metric. <laughs> literally, I was like, if my hair was chemically being straightened, like at the time that I said it, I just want you to know that person literally does not exist anymore. I was like, so was my hair chemically straight? Yes. Okay. I apologize. I was in a part of my life that literally is like, we have, what was, what's the post that I'd be seeing? It's like, I'm sorry. Um, it's like, I'm sorry for anything I did before the writing staff was underpaid and very like confused during those. And I was like, that's literally me. Like I apologize. The writing committee that I had working for me was just, they were horrible. Yeah, yeah, they had a lot to lot to figure out. They had a lot to figure oh. out, but like, and like you said, I I can like be honest, and like now when people ask me to speak, like I always bring up like maybe a point or two about that because it's like, no, you are gonna get there is something that you said or something that you're going to say that is incorrect. It yeah. is, and it's like I don't want also, and I say that because I don't want us to be afraid to speak or to be afraid to be active because it's like, oh my god, well I offended or oh my god I did this and oh my god I did that and it's like. Again, there are so many different intersections, so many different ways a person exists, and there is something that you don't know. Or there is something that, like you said, we we were just talking before, that you might have said that you didn't even think about because now years later, you know better. And it's like, so when those moments come up or those comments come up, you just acknowledge them because I don't, I don't want people to feel like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to say something, which I've had people do. Like, I don't want to say something that offends when it's like, listen, like say, cause I, at least with me, when people talk to me personally, I'll be like, say what you feel like saying, and then we'll work on how it actually is being held later, which I learned yeah. when I was a counselor, um, for homeless adolescents, like our, our supervisor, literally, she would let us speak and be like, okay, I saw what your intention was, or I see what you're trying yeah. to say. I think this is a better way to do it because this is sounding like that. And it's like, oh, okay. Because I do, I think a lot of times we were so afraid that it's like, we don't say, we don't act. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, talk with someone, do your research. And then it's like, if it, if it doesn't go well, that's when we apologize and we adjust and, and we, and we do it again. Yeah, I've been really into like um, learning more about like accountability without like self hate in like the shame. You know what I mean? It's like embarrassment is fine. (laughs) It's okay to be embarrassed, but like the shame spiral can get really ugly. And then people um, essentially use that shame as a way to like tap out and be like, I can't do it anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, no, like, how do we have accountability without like all of the like, I'm never gonna be good enough. So I shouldn't even try. It's like, no, 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 no. 
it's okay to mess up. Like we'll never, you're never going to arrive at being like the perfect activist or ally or like we all, it's a commitment to just continue to learn and do better. Um, and I really love like, your point around language, around like your supervisor being, let's think about another way. Like, this is how it actually lands. And it's cool that you do so much with spoken word, because I think you really understand. And you're talking about narratives, like the power of language and how we use it. And that's like, I mean, that's a skill. Like, it just takes practice to figure out how to say things in a way that isn't harmful. It is. And I think I tell people all the time, I think definitely having, which I which I think is a, a quality that I naturally have. I remember when I interned at a radio station, my supervisor wrote down like emotional intelligence. That was the first time I heard that word. And I was like 18. So I was just like, Oh, what's that? And he was just like, like, you're just like, you understand kind of like when you're in a room, it's like, you have this way of just kind of matching and understanding like, okay, this is the energy that I'm getting. And this is the emotional awareness. So I think also that match with, like you said, being a poet, poet, but also having, um, different credentials and different certifications because like you know to be a, a counselor the counselor I was um at the at, at the transitional living facility I worked at it's like you know they sent me to different trainings I think it all kind of like married into each other where it's like okay like these kind of filled the gaps and it is definitely something that you you have to learn you have to practice I even learned a new term um I'm doing an intimacy directing coordinator certification and it was like speaking in drafts which is literally like when you say, oh, I'm speaking in drafts, literally to just tell people and not that it's an excuse to say something harmful, harmful, but it's kind of like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just kind of like, you know, dumping in a parking lot right now. And like, yeah. you know, so not to say don't hold what I'm saying against me, but it's like, I'm speak, I'm speaking in drafts. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Cause you know, sometimes oh, you're like, that. so cause you know, we all do, you're like, you know what I'm trying to say. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. And you're like, okay. So it's like, yeah, I'm trying to say this. And, and it's like, and it's like, so I like that term, like speaking in drafts. Cause a lot of times like we're, we, we try to cushion it so much when it's like, just, just say it. Um, and I think working with adolescents, especially as like, you know, an adolescent and young adult, like I was 23 working with folks that were like 20, I feel like it also helped because it's like, I'm trying to give them like these life skills and they're, we're talking from like, you know, a client counselor standpoint, but it's like, you know, some of y'all are only two or three years away from me and really trying to navigate, like, what are you really trying to say? And I think that's where like, you know, even when it comes to us doing this work as advocates and us doing the healing for ourselves, actively listening. Like, I don't think we even sometimes actively listen to ourselves. I'm reading The Body Keeps a Score right now. And it is actually, I, I love it because I feel like it's every, like everything we've ever been told where it's just like, you know, if you, if you can't sit with yourself, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then it's like literally learning the neuroscience of like, when you're by yourself, your mind will really go into the memory bank and try to look at what has happened to it and look at your life. And that's why we're like, okay, I got to get another assignment. And it's like, okay, wow. Like I didn't know, like. And on a neurological level, that would happen. So when we look at healing, right, which the book also talks about, um, it also comes down to if you want someone to be able to heal, especially from something like sexual violence, you literally have to make sure they're at a, a place, not just like physically, but emotionally and mentally at a stability where if they re- if they recount these memories or the experiences, it's not re-triggering them. And that is like a hard balance because it's literally like okay we want you to kind of talk about like in therapy that's why you know someone might come in for example like I like when I had therapy like sexual violence like I want to talk about but it might take us four months to get there because like you're not even in a state where you could tell me like that you were assaulted without being hysterically crying which again is not a problem nothing to be shamed for but it's like I think a lot of times even as survivors you know we 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 are are shaming ourselves which is something I had to learn like in therapy right 
literally, and my friends call it out in a good way. They're like, you get upset that you get upset. They're like, literally, they're like, you're upset that you're upset or you're mad that you're mad. And it's like, if you're upset, if you're mad, that's okay. There's no need to be upset. Like, oh my God, I'm so mad. I'm so mad that I'm crying. And it's like, no, you're sad. And I think a lot of times as survivors, we put so much pressure and so much expectations of labor to be like, but I want to be okay. And it's like, you can be. And it's like, you just have to go through, like, you have to go through your journey. And it's like, I always feel bad when people ask me that question, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And it's like, I can't tell you what your journey is, you know, because again, even in the book, the body keeps a score, you know, and I know like my body still very much holds a lot of trauma and stress. Like your body holds on to things that still need to be addressed. Right. Or it's like, as you, like I said, all these things coming up in my mind when it was like, you know, over 2020, when I realized again, like I experienced sexual harassment in middle school that came up while I was doing my healing journey. And it was like, okay, wow. Like I didn't realize all these little things made me cushion to kind of accepting what happened so it's like you know now you're healing from something and other things are popping up like my therapist described it as like you're moving into a house and sometimes by mistake you know you might be unpacking the kitchen and you find some things from the living room in the box because it happens it overlaps oh, that's a really good way of putting it yeah yeah she literally she's she's using or because you know i was definitely someone's like i want to talk about this talk about that she's like listen we're gonna unpack one box one room at a time but sometimes we have to be not even so much okay but just be very aware sometimes when you open up the kitchen box you're like oh okay I didn't realize I put you know this picture frame in there and so seeing that you know maybe you had the picture frame though in the kitchen so it's something that overlaps and you know that's something that you know especially for the survivors that are listening I I just want you to you know definitely give yourself the grace to know that while you go through this like other things might come up you know or like you know like for myself even being a black woman like Sometimes a lot of my my crying about sexual violence centered around the fact that like yo I'm black and it seems like nobody cares. Like like th- like there are some days where I'm just like I literally laid in bed where it's like it's very hard <laughs> to be black right now and it's like I don't know what to do right and like understanding that those days exist but that doesn't mean like you said like you have to just kind of take a seat out of like this journey and it's like okay like I said before in the beginning to also kind of go back because I tell people all the time like. I don't just have, like, Survivor is not just, like, the stand forever. Like, there are many days where, like, I am just so down or I see something or I hear something or, you know, something comes up and it's like, no, I'm very much back at this victim stage. And it's like, I'm learning to give myself grace of those moments myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you speaking to the nature of how, like, all of these traumas are interrelated and how they, like, interact with each other. They're, like, enmeshed in in this being, this one encasement that is my body. But that doesn't mean that I get to, like, wouldn't it be so nice if we could just organize them nice and pretty and tidy with a bow on it? But that's not really how it works. And a lot of them are interrelated just by virtue of what they are. Um, which is, I just want to say too, I so appreciate your, um, your perspective on like intersectionalism and being a black woman and a survivor and what the, how those interrelate with each other and how they're different and how, you know, this is, it's this complex experience of trauma, like existing and kind of interacting with each other all together. Um, and it's really, yeah, it's a really important perspective. It is. And I, and I thank you for acknowledging that because, um, like I said, going back to social narratives, going back to social norms, going back to like, just, you know, existing sometimes in the world, 
I don't think, you know, when, and I think we're starting now to have these conversations and be real about it. But I think a lot of times, you know, we like to cushion it. Like, again, it's as, it's not as simple, like not even passing a law is simple, right? You have organizations such as Arise, which are doing amazing work. And it's like, I tell people we need like the political change with the social narrative change. Because I was like, we have political change and people are still doing the same stuff. People are still being taught the same thing. And I think people are just disguising it as other net. Like I told you before, we got the hands made tail trying to happen. And it's just like, you know, some days I even like tell some of my friends, I'm like, it's very hard for me sometimes to like look at social media and to see what people think my life as a black woman should look like. And, and to say like, you know, you don't have it as difficult as you make it out. And it's like, these things are just that it's like, you know, especially when it when it comes to sexual violence or it's like, you know, well, if, if you just wouldn't wear this and you just wouldn't do that. It's like, I, I think it's just so interesting how it always comes back to you and our responsibility. And again, that's another way how we as we talk about the patriarchy, I think as a whole, regardless of, of race, um, we all like the patriarchy is being upheld by continuously putting the responsibility back in women's hands. But that is also how institutional oppression works. Because when it comes to let's have justice, let's have change, we put the responsibility in the oppressed hands. Well, if you want, if you want justice, you want change, why don't you figure it out? Um, I'm, I'm telling you, because that's another thing too, like I tell people, I feel like we'll come up with like, this is what we need for change. And then like, it doesn't happen. Um, and so like, I, and I'm, I love listening, like I said, to different narratives of, you know, what it looks like to be a survivor and, and different narratives of like what we need to do for support. Um, because like I said, I think as a whole resources are not there, but you know, I heard trying to think who I talked to, for example, they made, um, little little kits at hospitals where it's like you know when you get your rape kit they give you like the soap and the comb and the hospital where they're making the kits was an 85 percent um black population serving hospital and the combs were like the really really thin combs that were like for fine hair and someone was like you know why are we packing them the population can't use that and like the hospital to the point where it's like they would just have they would get it donated and they would just put it in the closet like they didn't use it and even like you know that right there i tell people social norm you presenting that to someone tells them that they don't have the space here. Like if you're giving me this thing with products I can't even use, you're literally just, I feel like, okay, subconsciously, I don't know what's happening, but subconsciously what's going through my mind is I don't have space here. You're not going to help me. It's not even not just not helping. It's actively harming because it's sending a message of you don't matter where it's like, cool, I'm coming to you because I just got raped. And now you're not even like, not only are you not helping me, but you're just like, being an asshole here are these products which literally (laughs) has been advocated to like like, change and it's just like oh no like it's fine and it's like this is an 85 percent like black serving hospital and you're giving us stuff like they're they're not and like you said definitely actively harming because when i worked um at another shelter program that's exactly what it was we were serving like like good 90 percent black and brown um and male clients and it's like the stuff that they had you know, to the point where it's like, I remember one day I just went out and bought and bought it. I just bought coconut oil. I just bought this. And we had a meeting and they were like, why did you do that? I was like, because you're telling them they don't matter. I was like, you're literally every day telling them they don't matter. They're sitting here trying to tell you what they need. And you're saying they're being difficult, which is again, as survivors, we've heard that term a lot. You're being difficult when it's like, no, I need this and you know there is there's a lot of there's definitely as a whole right a lot of work that needs to be done but i think as we said before if we just take the step to actively listen 
and we take the step to just be very open, like you said, with acknowledging the truth before we try to, to like push healing. Because I like I like you said, that's also harming. Trying to be like, well, let's heal from it. No one even acknowledged harm was done. Right. Like, <laughs> what do you mean heal? Like no one even acknowledged harm was done. I I think we will be taking the necessary steps. And like I said, while also doing the education and the advocacy to prevent sexual violence as a whole. Because like I tell people, as much as I we we need to heal, we need to do this, I also want us to not need to have these conversations continuously because like these these incidents won't happen and it's like we need to also like you said it's definitely a balance um but it's like I think like I said even just doing the things that we're doing now is what's gonna help yeah yeah and I think the conversations are shifting more to like an integrated intersectional and um a conversation where like that is start it's starting like the complexities are just barely starting and like the nuances are just barely starting to like squeak into these spaces. And so I think that's really exciting to see. And, it, you know, it should have already happened and it's not happening fast enough, but it is still something that it's like, oh, that's that's refreshing, because if the anti-oppression work that people are doing isn't intersectional, it's not good enough. It's not. And like you said, it's squeaking in, but it's there because we should have always had this anti-oppression lens. And like you said, it's very late. Like I said, when 2020 and I feel like everybody got really into intersectionality, I'm like, oh, welcome. Welcome to the meeting. <laughs> Cookies are on the table. Um, Like, hi. Like, people are like, oh, my God, Cheyenne, did you know? And I was like, I feel like the Willy Wonka meme. Like, tell me more, like, about what we've been sitting here trying to tell you. But please, welcome to the meeting. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I look back at when I was doing DV educating, you know, six, seven years ago, and was like, man, have I come a long way. And I'm so grateful that I have. But it's like, yeah, yeah, it's time. It's time to come to the meeting and sit in the back and eat some cookies and shut up and listen and actively listen. So I just really, really, really appreciate having this conversation with you. It's been, um, yeah, it's been really powerful, I think, and hopefully not super exhausting. But I'm, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. No, thank you so much. And this conversation has been amazing. I'm happy to like all the different like mountains and valleys that we talked through. And like I said, I, yeah. I hope that um, something resonated really with someone. And like, I, like, I know, like, it definitely took a lot of twists and turns. But like, even having these conversations in the podcast that y'all do, I think is is also helpful when it comes to sharing this information and showing like, the folks um, who have like, and like you said, not in an academia way of like, who are holding knowledge, like we're holding something no one else can have, but folks who, you know, like maybe like myself who are at a place where, you know, I am more open with my story and more open to like being like, hey, like I would like people to know this and to like, here's this information. Cause like you said, I couldn't picture being like that a few years ago. Like my page was anonymous. Yeah, it's important. It's, it's just important. And um I'm just like, I'm at a loss words because I'm still like, I'm a, I'm a processor. I like late term process everything. Oh, so I have okay. like a million. Yeah. I have like a million thoughts going through my head right now, but I do want to just ask, cause I ask everybody this, like if you had one message that you wanted to give to listeners who are listening right now, like what would that be? Oh, the one message. I love those questions at the end. Like, what is the one thing? So I, I would definitely say it can be multiple things too, but multiple. Well, I would say, yeah. um, as a general message, right. I would say that, you know, the work is always needing to be done. Um, and I would say what I'm learning when it comes to like this journey called advocacy and activism, and especially within this movement, right? It's like, you can find what that looks like for you. Like I said, I, I am what people would label an educator. Like I, I love 
to learn. I love to read. And then I like to say, okay, well, how can I put this in a form that people understand? I'm like, Emily, like you said, I'm a poet. A lot of what I do literally pours into my poetry. Like, so a lot of what people know me as is like talking about mental health and sexual violence in words. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even realize this was a thing because they heard this piece. So it's like, I think I would like listeners to know, like, you know, if your thing is like, you're really into policy, do that. If your thing is like, you're the person that's going to organize the protests and the meetings, like do that. We need to get people's attention. If your thing is, which I talked about during um, the Black Lives Matter protests where people are like, well, I'm not comfortable going in the streets, but it's like, you know, I can make the social media content good because we need people to know that the protest is happening. Like do that. Like every piece, you know, if you want, if you have the energy to argue with people on my Facebook thread, cause I don't have it, please do that. Like I like waking up to my friends, like, go ahead. You got the energy in that labor. Right. Um, and although it was more of a funny one, but it's like, you know, do wherever, do what the work that you feel like you can really uphold and like the work that you feel like, okay, this is really where I fit because we need everybody. And there is no perfect way to be this activist, educator, advocate. Um, and I would say to anyone who's listening, who's going through your journey, um, to give yourself, like we said before, grace, like, don't feel like you have to get it right. Or don't feel like, dang, like, I feel like I was here in December and I was June and I slipped all the way back. And it's just like, you know, the mind and body is, is constantly going through these changes. And the fact that I like to also look at growth, I feel like we look at growth as things that we can hold, like a new job, a car. I look at growth, something as simple as things that used to upset me, no longer upset me. I even look at growth as simple as, you know, me acknowledging that something was about to get like, like I had an experience that literally was just at my job. And I was just like, I don't like the way this person said something, but I think I'm thinking too deeply. And it's like, I don't want to have anxiety. And I called my friend and it was, I was thinking too deeply into it, but it's like acknowledging the growth of like, see a few months ago, a year ago, I would have set myself into a spiral and had an anxiety attack when I was able to be like, hold on, Cheyenne. I think we're, I think this is, you know, maybe a, a piece of our trauma or a piece that we have to unpack of feeling like we're not good enough. And I feel like we're, we're like, we're, we're, we're spiraling, but we're not going to do that. Right. So understanding that the, the wins that maybe to you seem so small are really big wins because for me, I don't know how, if anyone else, or I don't know, I mean, if you have anxiety, but I hate feeling my stomach just stop and fall. It is the worst. It is an uncomfortable, feel, uncomfortable feeling and I hate it. And to be able to have that feeling happen less and less and less and for me to be comfortable, um, I love it. And for me, even which I've spoken to, you know, my friend survivors, right? For me, even to be at a place where it's like, I'm more open to engage in intimate partnerships with people, you know, because it's like, that was something that really would scare the shit out of me all the time and now I'm like at a place where it's like you know I, I think I really want to be actively engaged in in with, with someone right and it's like all those things that to me happening on the scale of like like what are we looking at like over five years looks like this big it is big in the grand scheme of things so that that's what I would say because I think we need like I said definitely grace with people trying to find their place in the movement and I think grace of survivors you know going through their journey and and feeling like I'm not healing quick enough I'm not healing enough yeah yeah and I think it's it can be hard but like a really good practice to try and celebrate the little victories because if you're not celebrating them um it's easy to like shit on them and shit on yourself about like I'm not healing fast enough but even if it's like a teeny tiny thing where it's like oh being in this environment used to freak me out and now I can sit here for 15 minutes and and then need to leave instead of walking in and walking out immediately and you know like stuff like that where it's like that's improvement um 
Yeah, I owe anxiety. Yeah, mine isn't a tummy drop. I always feel like I'm having a heart attack. And then I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, you don't. Right, I would see. And it's like you said, like the way your body reacts, you're like, I don't like this. And it's like me having less. And it's like, I love that too. Like celebrating like, you know, because even my, because again, like my, one of my things was like safety. So it's like, I check locks a lot. I like lock the door 30,000 times. I will do all those different things. And it's like me getting my, my checking the door from five times to getting it down to three. And it's like, you know, who's in your circle? Because my friends celebrate that. Like, okay, girl, we only checking it three times. Like three, three times. That's two down. I'm like, we only checked it three times. And it's like, you know, I'm happy that I have people in my life who are, I don't like I like I'm just like oh yeah I only checked the door three times or like it was five last time so like yeah we good to like you said celebrating that and also keeping people around you know or the people who are celebrating with you like let them celebrate it with you too because like I was like oh it's nothing and now I'm like hey we we like thank you yeah yeah that support is so crucial like knowing who your people are the people who love and support you unconditionally um it's so important. Like healing is so hard to do in isolation. It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. honestly. It is. Yeah. Surround yourself with good people. I love that. Um, wow. Okay. Well, on that note, I feel like we're kind of coming to a natural end here, but I just wanted to say thank you again. Like I said earlier, I'm like, I've got so much to process. I'm definitely going to re-listen to this episode and like <laughs> take notes. I literally wrote down speaking in drafts on my little my little notepad here next to me. I think that like so many. Like I'm going to use this, this like episode. ten minutes after this yeah. recording. <laughs> my partner's going to go come home from a dog walk. Dog walk. I'll be like, excuse me, David. I am speaking in drafts right now, but like, okay, like is good for for you know us. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. should I be speaking in drafts too? Like. Speaking in drafts, what would you like for dinner? Like, <laughs> I was like, uh, we can just talk about this regularly. Um, but no, but seriously, there's just so much wisdom, so much, um, so many nuggets of like wisdom and truth telling in this episode. And I just really appreciate you being on here and um, for learning so much from you, honestly. Thank you. So and thank you truly so much for having me. Um, I enjoyed um, the conversation. I enjoyed like being able to speak with someone who was so intentional and is so caring. Um, and like y'all didn't hear like the before we recorded, but like everything you laid out, Emily was just so supportive of folks, you know, doing this work and of folks who are survivors. So it's like I'm very thankful to um, be able to be a voice on the podcast. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.